folks who uh, are willing to come and lead us before God in music, man, it just speaks to my heart. Well, listen, I'm really glad you're here, and uh, it occurs to me after I sat down that I usually pray after the second song before I greet you, and I didn't do that, so I'm going to do that in a minute, but I I have a specific focus in mind. We are working our way through James, and uh, today we move into the second chapter And uh, I want to invite you to find your way there. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Uh, But I want to remind you of something or let you know, in case you didn't, that uh, we had a team leave yesterday for Puerto Rico uh, from Coastal, and they will be there in the uh, town called La Hormiga in uh, near San Juan, not too far outside of San Juan, Puerto Rico, doing Uh, humanitarian work and helping to build uh, homes for people who are in desperate need of it and uh, sharing the gospel of Christ and the love of Christ as they serve throughout this week. So I want to encourage you to to pray for those folks as they go. Uh, I also want to let you know about Wave Camp. We have had very few uh, registrations actually here at this campus, so we have made an executive decision to join with Yorktown. So there will still be opportunity to do that. If you have children, uh, first through fifth grade, that you would like to have participate in our Wave Camp uh, this summer, uh, we will be providing transportation from here, if that's more convenient for you to get them here. So go to gocoastal.org forward slash summer events, get that signed up, let them know you're from Hampton, and we would love to be able to participate with you on that. So listen, let me take a minute and pray uh, specifically for our Puerto Rico team uh, as they're on the road, and then we're going to jump in, all right? Father in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you for Uh, the opportunity to be in your house. Lord, we do not take for granted the privilege of worship and corporate worship when we can look each other in the eye and, and love each other and give each other a hug, but mostly, Lord, come here and offer ourselves together as a church family to worship your great and holy name. So we're thankful for that. And Lord, today, uh, some from Coastal, from our uh, broader church family, a team of them are in Puerto Rico this morning. They are uh, getting up and around and, and going and worshiping. Uh, if it's the same church that I went to a few years ago when we were there, it, uh, they're going to listen to worship in a different language. And Lord, I pray that the blessing of hearing others worship you in a language they don't even understand will be a real joy to them. But I know this week is going to be packed full of uh, activity and hard work and opportunities to minister to people in a very practical way and to share the gospel. So I pray you would go before them and guide their steps and use them for your glory, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, as I mentioned earlier, this is an interesting passage of Scripture to me, and uh, so I want to begin by stating something that I know is really obvious, but we're all different from one another, right? We are very different from one another. That, That comes out in little ways, Sometimes that has to do with differences between uh, a husband and wife because of our gender. Sometimes it's differences just because we're different personalities, right? Sometimes it's different because some of us like hunting, fishing, whatever, outdoorsy kind of stuff. Some of us like sporting events. Some of us, some of the things that make us different just make us different, right? And we, for the most part, other than maybe a little good-natured ribbing, some people like 
I, I don't know if anybody really still likes, what is the Washington football team called now? But anyway, um, some people like them, some people like Dallas, some people like somebody else, you know, whatever. I don't even pay that much attention to football, but I know our senior pastor would be happy for a shout out to know he's a Seahawks fan. And uh, sorry if that offends you, but uh, he's not. So uh, there's that. But some of the things that make us different become issues between us, right? Sometimes it's our appearance. Sometimes it's the color of our skin. Sometimes it's our economic status. Sometimes it's our educational background. Perhaps it's our political affiliation. There are things about us, some of which, many of which, are simply externals that can cause division or they can cause us to love and appreciate each other for what we bring together in the body of Christ. So this passage of scripture today is going to touch on one particular one that I think to some degree touches on all of us, but I want you to feel free. I really had hoped I'd come up with this really stellar introduction that would do this, but there are so many instances around us that we have either experienced or perhaps have perpetrated or certainly have observed of people showing partiality to someone because of some external thing, favoritism. And I want to begin up front by telling you this, favoritism has no place in the body of Christ because it's contradictory to the gospel of Jesus. We're going to end this morning in Revelation talking about how around the throne of God are going to be people from every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping together in one place. So today I want to talk about the contradiction of favoritism, and we're in James chapter 2, and I'm going to begin by reading the first four verses. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and says, oh, you, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Favoritism has no place in the body of Christ. It's contradictory, first of all, to faith in Christ. Favoritism is contradictory to faith in Jesus. My brothers, do not, and in fact, the way it's written, it says stop showing partiality. They were doing that. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we all to some degree or another do that a little bit, right? We all have a tendency to show a little favor toward people who we gravitate toward or people who may in some means or manner benefit us, right? We all have a tendency to do that. There's something about it that makes us, man, we see a, a person with a, a really nice car and a person with a junky old car and we want to ride somewhere. Why not ride in the nice car, right? I mean, I, I know that's a simplistic illustration, but we, we have a kind of a tendency to do that. So let me, let me say this up front. Understanding and recognizing that there are differences between us 
is not a bad thing. It's treating people differently because of that that's the bad thing, right? Whether we show favoritism or whether we show uh, ill treatment, as in the picture. In this case, James said, what if a rich man comes in, right? So, so the command is this, stop doing it. Stop showing favoritism while trying to say you have faith in Christ. He is the Lord of glory. You cannot do that. Jesus is the glory of God on earth. We just sang of his great worth. Every person you come across, regardless of what they look like or what they're wearing or whatever else, they are made in the image of God, just like you are. I cannot claim faith in Christ and show partiality. That's the point of James. They are contradictory to each other. Stop showing it. And the, the phrase to stop showing partiality always had to do with showing favor or giving advantage to someone because of externals. In the case of the early church, he's giving an illustration that was very powerful to them. Something on the order of 8 to 10% of the Roman world were wealthy. Now, I went to look up what's wealthy in America, and it depends on who you talk to, if you can imagine that. People who have a lot of money tend to put the number higher. People who don't tend to put it a little lower. But in general terms, there, just a couple of years ago, there was a poll taken that, that said, to be considered wealthy in America, you have to have a net worth of on the ballpark of $2 million. Well, if you don't have near that much, you're like, yeah, that's totally wealthy. If you have that, or maybe a little more, or maybe a lot more, you're like, well, I mean, it's, it's good, right? Of course, everybody looks at you know, Elon Musk and says, well, clearly he's wealthy. Well, obviously. But for a lot of people, I think we don't understand that wealth is a, is a term that applies a lot sooner than we're willing to admit. But only 8 to 10% of people in the Roman world were wealthy. The remaining 90 were poor and never had any anticipation of gaining wealth or the status associated with it. And status was everything in Rome. Doesn't sound entirely different than America, right? Status and power. The one who looked wealthy, he said, which, by the way, we can do certain things to appear a certain way to people, right? To gain an advantage that would be included fine clothes, gold rings, expensive garments. Everybody knew this person has got some stuff. And prominence was given to them based on externals. You pay attention to them. You show favor to them. The poor man got just the opposite treatment. Well, he's of no real advantage to us, so sure, you can come, but you hang out over there. Now, for the most part, we're not that blatant, right? Uh, am I stepping on your toes yet? I've been, man, I've been stepping on my own toes all week, so just join the group here. Uh, we're not that blatant. We don't actually say to someone, man, you're really advant advantageous to me, so I'm going to hang out with you, and you, not so much, so, you know, I'll see you later. We're not that blunt. My concern is we may do it anyway. 
We may hang out with a group of people that's very much like us because, well, it's just more comfortable that way, right? I tell you what I love about our campus and about Coastal in general, it, because I don't want to ignore you know, the elephant in the room in our world and in our culture of racism, which is clearly applicable here. I love that we can love people whose skin looks different than us. What in the world difference does that make? But it makes such a difference sometimes. Why? The church ought to be the place where none of that kind of stuff ever applies. Where people who look different from one another, whether it be how they dress or what car they drive in or what their skin color is or whatever their educational background, they ought to all be able to come in here and give each other a hug and say, I love you like a brother or a sister, right? I love that we are after that. We're going after that at Coastal. But if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we have to sometimes work at that because we are different, right? Our backgrounds make us different. If you hadn't noticed, Marcus Devon and I look different from each other, <laughs> right? As he and I are growing in our friendship and our relationship and our work relationship together, we're discovering we have backgrounds that are very different from one another. We could look at each other with suspicion because of that, or we could look at each other and learn from that. But to ignore differences doesn't help. To use the differences to show favoritism or partiality certainly doesn't help. The poor man got the bad treatment. Well, they don't have anything to offer to me. So what's his conclusion? Verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Now, he's writing to believers. Stop doing that because don't you realize that when you do that, when you make those distinctions amongst yourselves, and you treat one person with favor and another person with disregard, you have become judges with evil thoughts. It's sinful. Partiality is sinful. Who's more valuable? Who deserves greater respect? Do we not remember that it is who we are in Christ that makes us valuable? So it doesn't matter where, where I'm coming from in my background. Where it matters is, am I in Christ? And at that place, we are on equal footing together, right? So here's the application that I thought of thus far. I think partiality can be shown in a lot of areas, and we've talked about some of that. When we make assumptions about a person based on what we see, we are living and functioning in an evil manner, and we deserve judgment. Ouch. I heard a song years ago. I don't remember where I heard it. Went something like this. Everyone's a little bit racist or something. That shouldn't be a funny song, right? 
we should all be alert to when we are treating someone who is different from us in whatever means or manner, we should, we should be quick to repent of that when it's here before it ever comes out here, right? So favoritism contradicts faith in Christ. Secondly, favoritism contradicts God's priorities. Verse 5, listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. I'm going to quit right there. God's priorities are to care for those who are disenfranchised. God has a special place in his heart. Go to the Old Testament. He cares for the widow and the orphan. There's something unique in the heart and mind of God to care for the person who is on the outside. So can I encourage you with something? If you're on the outside, for whatever reason, God has a special concern for you. God's priority is people... In this case, God cares for those who are poor. He surely does. God gave rules to the people of Israel, his chosen people in the Old Testament, about how they were to care for strangers, people who weren't Jews. Now, it wasn't so much a race thing in the early church because you were basically either in the early church a Jew or not. You were a Jew or a Gentile, and everybody who wasn't a Jew was lumped into that latter category. So there was a certain amount of racism, but there was, they had forgotten that God said to them, I want you to care for the stranger in your midst. God's priorities are to care for those who have a, a reason to uh, have to work and struggle through something. Now, not every poor person will have faith, right? And not every rich person is excluded from faith by any stretch. But for the poor, there is something to be said for the fact that it comes more easily for them to depend on somebody else, on God, for instance, for their salvation. God warns rich people all the time, all the way through the Old Testament and the New, not to trust in their riches. That's easy to do. We get a little better dose of reality when our, when our economy does what it's doing right now, right? Because it's easy to trust in riches when everything's going this away. <laughs> but when everything's going this away and all the expenses are going this away, all of a sudden we're not trusting so readily in our riches, in our wealth, in our bank account. But it comes more easily many times for a, for a poorer person to depend on God but you've dishonored them, he said. And God cares for all people equally. What's the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God cares for all people equally. Favoritism contradicts God's priorities. Thirdly, favoritism contradicts common sense. Second part of verse 6. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? 
In the case of these hearers that James is writing to, he's saying to them, listen, it doesn't even make sense. You're trying to curry favor with this person because they're wealthy and you think there's some advantage. But that's not their history. Those are the people that are taking you to court to try and get more out of you. It doesn't even make sense. It, the rich persecute you and prosecute you. Don't curry favor with people. Don't show partiality to people who are not going to love you. They blaspheme the name of the Lord. They speak irreverently, disrespectfully of God. Why would you curry favor with someone who dishonors the Lord you claim to love? And lastly, favoritism contradicts the law of love. Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The summary of the law of love is found in Luke 10. When Jesus had asked, What's, what do you find in the law? What's, what is the law? How do you summarize it? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus had taught, right? What are the two, what's the greatest commandment that the religious leaders came to him in Matthew and said, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? He said, oh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That came from the Old Testament. All of the Jewish people would have stood up and shouted, amen. And then Jesus said, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when we break one link in the law, we've broken the chain, right? It doesn't matter how big and how heavy duty your chain is. If one link is broken, the chain is broken. So I'm convicted as a lawbreaker if I don't do this. Now, think that through. Many view the law as a list of things. In fact, when Jesus came to the rich young ruler and, and the rich young ruler said, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What did Jesus do? He gave him one, he said, well, what, what do you read in the law? And he told him. He said, well, that, that's it, do that and you'll live. And what does the scripture say? And he, wishing to justify himself, We always want to justify ourselves by using the stack method, right? I, I keep this law and this law and this law and this law and this law, so I'm doing good, right? I know, I'm not too good at this one, but listen, I have to come to recognition that this is a 
is a law that gets broken and I break the whole thing. The rich young man had broken the number one commandment on the list, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is it? You shall have no other gods before me. What was his God? Money. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And he went away sad because he had broken the one law. I'm not going to take time to go to that whole story. I've just kind of talked it through. But there is a sense in which for the rich, faith is harder. Jesus talked about that with his disciples, right? It is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I heard, I, I, I can't imagine it's actually true, but it, it sure is funny if it is, that there was a point in time at which a group of people fashioned the largest needle they could ever find, and then they took a camel piece by piece and put it through the eye of a needle to prove that that could happen, which really only proved that there are some people that have way too much time on their hands, right? <laughs> because the point was not it's impossible. The point was it, you can't do it on your own. And so the disciples said, well, then who can get into heaven? God said, that's the point. It's impossible with men. But the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Even living without favoritism and partiality. It is possible to be that way. So don't flatter yourself, he says in those last few verses. This one is as bad as the big ones. He's making the argument that showing partiality and favoritism is sin. And he mentions adultery and murder. I wonder if we ever think about the fact that treating someone else badly because they're different than me is as bad as adultery. I've broken the law. It's not a matter of comparison of the specific laws. It's I've broken the law. Okay, good for you. Praise God. You've never committed adultery. You haven't murdered anybody. That's really good. I don't want to minimize that. But if I treat people with favoritism because of their racial heritage or because of their economic status or because of their education or because of whatever other reason, I've broken the law. I'm a transgressor of the law. So in, in my thoughts to take home, I've got just three, but I've left myself a little bit of time because I want to tell you some situations that are real-life situations I have been involved with. But the first one is just a question. Are you a Pharisee or a Samaritan? Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? All that whole business at first, what does it mean to love your neighbor? What did, the, what did that Sadducee who came, what did that guy say? Well, well, well but, but who's my neighbor? And so Jesus told the story of the Samaritan who nobody cared for, nobody liked him. They were a group of people that for the most part had had come in their heritage from Jews and Gentiles who had married and had children, and those people were called Samaritans, or dogs, if you were a Jew. They were treated badly. And so Jesus told this story to say, who's my neighbor? And he told the story of a Samaritan who went down this, this road that was known to be dangerous, and he got beat half to death, literally, and he's laying there dying, and a, a Pharisee walks by, and a you know, a Levite walks by and they, they walk by and they intentionally go to the other side of the road and keep walking. 
And so this guy is laying there half dead, and a Samaritan comes along, which everybody in the story would have thought, well, of all people, he'll probably turn around and go back home. And he's the one who stops, and he takes care of the man. We're not told the actual background of the man who got robbed and beat half to death, right? We just know the religious leader walked on by, the Samaritan stopped and did something. Are you in that story, the Pharisee or the Samaritan? And then I want to I talk about the American church a little bit. I've heard it said, and again, I'm, I'm glad to acknowledge that it is not true at Coastal, and I hope it will become increasingly untrue at Coastal, especially here. The American church, it has been said to be uh, that worship on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in the country. It's not entirely untrue, right? We tend to hang out with those who are like us. We have churches for various groups, right? Various groups of people with various national heritages. We have, we have churches that are predominantly white and predominantly black or predominantly Korean churches or whatever it is, right? Because we tend to be homogenous and we tend to find people that are most like us and we hang out together. And while that may be culturally understandable, it's not what heaven's going to be like. So our challenge is, let's practice what heaven's going to be like, right? Remember these verses from Revelation? This is, this is John writing, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out, with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Right? Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. People from every tribe and nation and tongue and language. Sunday morning ought to be rehearsal for that, right? Man, let's invite somebody that doesn't look like us next week. <laughs> Find a friend. Don't tell them you're inviting them. Don't invite them for that reason, right? <laughs> that would be worse. I get it. But isn't it true that some of us would have to find a friend like that this week? That says a little something about whether it's the church's fault or my fault. The American church ought to be the place. I served in two churches in my history, well, a couple, three actually, but two of them that I had experiences that I still I still battle with in my spirit. I don't understand the thinking. We, we had uh, one church that we were in. We were growing our youth ministry. And uh, we were starting to see some young people come from the community who weren't accustomed to being in church. 
And so they didn't act like you're supposed to act when you're in church, right? If you grew up in the church, you know what I'm describing. And they didn't, and so they didn't. <laughs> and it came to a deacon's meeting. I was the pastor of the church, came to a meeting of the leaders of the church, and one of the men in the group spoke up and said, if those kids are going to continue to come, my kids won't come to youth group anymore. I've taught my kids, you become like the people you hang out with, and I don't want them hanging out with kids like that. We don't want their kind here. That, it, it had nothing to do with race. It was a town that was like 99.5% white. But the kids were different. And I said, doesn't it seem like that should work in reverse? If that's true, then why not bring those kids to hang out with your kids in an environment we're in charge of and hope that by the grace of God we impact them? No, 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 no. I don't want my kids hanging out. with. If they're here, my kids won't be. A separate incident in a different church. Same thing. We were holding a, uh, an event similar to our wave camps that we do at Coastal. And we took a bus and we went to a part of town that had children that were very different. And again, they, they looked different, they acted a little differently, and they were very unaccustomed to being in a controlled environment in church. And they acted up. And some of them did things they shouldn't have done. They misbehaved. Imagine that, children misbehaving. <laughs> Especially when they don't know how they're supposed to behave in church. Leaders of that group came to me that night and said, if those kids are here tomorrow night, I won't be. I said, aren't they the ones we're trying to reach? I know, but they're just too out of hand. We need to publicize that if you can get your own transportation, all are welcome. I said, are you serious? They were totally serious. Can we commit ourselves at Coastal, at Coastal Hampton, that that's not going to be the case? We're going to welcome everybody to come. If you misbehave, we're going to treat you like every other kid that misbehaves. <laughs> it doesn't mean you can come and do whatever you want. But it means you can come and we're going to hopefully teach you about the gospel of Jesus and watch it transform your life from the point of being a child till you grow up. Listen, I don't want to be colorblind. I kind of hate that term, to be honest. I want to acknowledge and celebrate and enjoy the fact that there's variety among us. Is, is that weird? Is that not supposed to be that way? I feel like that ought to be what we want. Because the gospel is what's important. We are on equal footing at the foot of the cross. Nobody gets to be in the front of the line. Nobody has easier access to Jesus than anybody else. It ought to be our goal to reach every tribe, tongue, nation, and language, and every people group in the area to whom God has assigned us to minister. You know what's interesting? I spent some years in the missionary world. Uh, my wife and I were headed to Australia, as missionaries, and God ended up closing that door, long story short. But I began to work with a mission agency in their home office for a period of time, and I began to notice something, that when missionaries go to another country, 
We tell them, don't change the country. You change and take the gospel and contextualize it to fit in the culture you're going to live in. But I noticed that a lot of churches are like, yeah, well, we have our culture. If you want to come to our church, you'll be like us. We know that. We know what it's supposed to be like. We send missionaries and we tell them, don't plant an American church in Russia. Don't plant an American church somewhere in South America. Plant a church that meets the needs of that culture in a culturally appropriate way that honors God and upholds the gospel. And if you, if you make it like an American church, we're going to bring you home. If you want an American church, stay in America. But don't we live in an America that has a variety of cultural things that we can address? And we want to do that, right? We don't want to be us. We want to be the kingdom of heaven on Sunday morning. Man, I look forward to what God can do through the hearts of people who will make the gospel the most important thing, who will quit trying to be a particular group, whatever the background of that group is. Let's decide in our hearts today, I'm going to be the person who doesn't care what you look like, what kind of car you drive, what kind of clothes you wear. Listen, if you wonder, that's one of the reasons at Coastal that we don't try and get people to dress a certain way. We don't want to know how much money you have. We don't frankly care. You give faithfully to the Lord. That's between you and God, right? If God has given you money, he's given it to you to share and be generous. So you do that. If you don't have a lot of money, we don't want you feeling like you've got to dress some certain kind of way to be acceptable here. So these things we do are intentional, right? We're not just doing it because we feel like being casual. I mean, yeah, I want to be casual. I'm not a suit and tie kind of guy. But there are reasons why we do what we do. There are reasons we choose the music we do. There are reasons we communicate the way we do. My dad was a preacher. I grew up listening to hymn, prayer, hymn, announcements and offering, special music, another prayer, then the sermon, which always had three points and a poem and was alliterated. It's just the way you did it. The first time I preached in front of my dad like this, he came to me afterwards and said, what is your hand doing in your pocket? I said, didn't you get any more out of that sermon than that? So listen, I get that we grow up in a certain kind of culture, right? We're here to reach the culture God has called us to. And that culture, in our case, means a variety of people meeting together in the same place at the foot of the cross, loving one another as equals, as brothers and sisters in Jesus. So listen, if you're here... And you, I keep talking about the gospel, and you're not sure what, what, is, what is he even talking about. Listen, let me tell you this. Everybody is also equally a sinner. <laughs> That's the bad news, right? That we are all equally, no matter what our background or our, or our uh, experience is, we're all equally sinners and have violated God's law. So we all equally need the gospel we have to repent of our sin. We have to turn from the things that are violations of what God wants. We have to believe in the gospel that Jesus, God 
the Son came to earth, lived the perfect life that you and I could never have lived, died, paying the penalty for sin, was buried, and on the third day came back to life again. And then, having believed that, repented of our sin and believed that, we received Christ. John 1, 12, to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So if you're here this morning and that's never happened to you, man, that's step one. That's step one of becoming a family that incorporates lots of differences and makes us blend together as one with all of our uniqueness. I would love to talk to you about that. I, I would love to have you as the worship team, in fact, is going to come and uh, get ready to sing us out of here or to have us sing, but uh, they would love to talk to you about that. You come on down here. To, we'll have prayer team members standing down here at the front. Grab one of these guys after the service. Talk to me. Listen, get somebody who will be take you to the Word of God and show you how you can know your sins are forgiven and you're bound for heaven and you can join the rest of us at the foot of the cross. Or whatever it is, whatever your need, if you need somebody to just pray with you today, you're a little discouraged about something, you've got something coming up, and you just want a little extra prayer support, come on up. That's what they're here for. Let them minister to you. They would be happy to do that. Uh, but, man, I'm going to pray, and we are going to sing our way out of here, and we're going out here with some intentionality this week about our desire to treat people with fairness, right? Uh, I hope your heart's as challenged as mine has been. Lord, I thank you for your great love for all peoples. I thank you that you love people in South America and in Europe and in Africa and, and in Russia and the Ukraine and in the Far East and in the West. I thank you that you love all people and you loved us all enough to send Jesus to rid us of the evils of favoritism and partiality. So Lord, soften our hearts, tenderize us to the times that we don't act as we should. Help us to love people with the love of Christ. Lord, help us to be intentional about it. We're grateful for who you are that we have worshiped today. We're grateful for Jesus and what he accomplished for us. I pray that our lives would be different today because we have come and met together to worship you. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen.